Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's Kayla. I'm so happy you're able to join us today because we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. The pandemic, I know, I know you're sick of hearing about it and you don't want to talk about it, but we need to because just hear me out. The pandemic is a giant collective trauma that none of us have fully dealt with yet. We are all so eager to get back to our life as we knew it. And once we did that, we quickly realized that life as we knew it was gone. Everything has changed, some for the worse, some for the better. But no matter what our situation was and now is, we do have to deal with it. And what is it? You might ask. It's the trauma, the emotion, the change, the mental health, the grief, just to name a few things. But dealing with it all doesn't mean it has to be hopeless and filled with despair. It turns out we can learn to enjoy our problems. And that's what we're going to do today. I've got news for you. A pity party is still a party. And today we're sitting down with Chelsea Harvey Garner. She is the author of A Pity Party is Still a Party. Her approach to emotional health is permissive without being overly self-indulgent. So basically, you can feel your feelings without getting consumed by them. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the lovely Chelsea Harvey Garner. 
And I am here with Chelsea Harvey Garner. I am a huge fan of your memoir. I'm so happy you're here. And we are just going to jump right in and talk about the pandemic because we know everyone is sick of hearing about it. And these are two words. The pandemic are two words you never want us to bring up again. But guess what? We need to talk about it because... The pandemic feels like a collective trauma that none of us have fully dealt with. We are so eager to get back to our lives as we once knew them. And we quickly realized in trying to do that, that that's just not possible. And we need resources. Everything has changed. I mean, your memoir, A Pity Party, is still a party, feels like a how-to when it comes to dealing with the aftermath of everything that the pandemic left in its wake. I mean, there is so much that we need to dive into. But the first part I want to talk about is toxic positivity, because this is something you start your book on. And I think it is so relevant to today and we don't talk about it enough. So can you break it down a little bit for our listeners and how why it's such a detrimental way to operate? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm also so excited to be here. And I actually am not sick of talking about the pandemic. So I'm happy that we're starting here. Toxic positivity is just essentially a way of saying, you know, too much emphasis on positive outlook right? Like it's great to want to look on the bright side and there's nothing at all wrong with that. But when we're using it to sort of avoid reality or to repress emotions that we just don't feel that we have like the courage to face, that's when it becomes dangerous, not just for ourselves and our own emotional and mental health, but for our relationships and generally our society. Mm -hmm. Right. It essentially blames people for their own suffering. Right. That's the undertone. Yeah, you write about it too. You say it at the at its core, toxic positivity is a form of avoidance. And listen, you're listening to this and you find yourself guilty of that. We get it. I get it. I'm sure Chelsea gets it. It's one of those things that we have all done that. And I think that was a way of coping with the amount of pressure and emotion and everything that everyone was dealing with. But I think it's time for us to own up to it and accept what we just went through and acknowledge it and understand that it needs to be dealt with. Because listen, as we would all love to just go through our lives and imagine that nothing happened and try as hard as we can to get back to what it was, it just doesn't exist anymore. And so, you know, you are big on speaking up for mental illness and talking about how much it soared during the pandemic. And you said one of the positive things was that people started to talk about therapy, encouraging people to get, you know, into therapy and talking about their therapist. And you also really humanize therapists. My mom is a therapist. You know, a lot of times people, you know, put them on a pedestal and they almost, you guys almost feel like superhumans, you know, because you help everyone else with their problems. But you admit to, and like I've seen firsthand with my own mom, you guys are just people, you're just humans too. And so especially during the whole pandemic and through, the, you know, coping with the aftermath, you guys have your own set of problems too. And so, you know, you say there's a real limit to what therapists can do to help their clients. And I agree with that. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Because it was such a humanizing part of your book that I really appreciate it. You know, it's so fun to hear you even calling it a memoir, which is not usually how people frame it. I actually love that. I had started it kind of as a memoir and then shifted it more toward nonfiction. Actually, before the pandemic started was when I sold this book. <laughs> And then it was delayed, right? 
But it's been really fascinating for me because I feel a little bit like I'm in a hall of mirrors. Having grown up as I do, I talk about myself and my experience quite a bit. I always grew up with sort of no normalcy. Like I always felt like my life had sort of not allowed me to even pretend to be having a normal experience. So I always felt like I was trying to catch up with like, well, what would a normal person say right now? I don't know. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for those who didn't? I don't want to give away your whole book, but I think this is a really important part to get no, to know it's, you. It's totally fine. And I could write another memoir. I barely, there's so much that's happened. <laughs> but yeah, so essentially, you know, I was raised by my grandmother who passed away in 2017. And um, she raised me because my parents are addicts. And so like, I really don't have a relationship with them. I'm an only child. And she, by the time I was born, had sort of been through a ton of therapy herself. I mean, it's extraordinarily painful when you have children, multiple children who have serious drug addiction, you know, it's like meth and things that are really hard to come off of. So she was sort of, she sort of saw the opportunity to raise me as like a second chance and to do things differently. And that was really the best thing that could have happened for me. But at the same time, you know, we're here, we are still like the two of us broken hearted and grieving the separation from these people that, you know, I wanted to be close to. And so there was just a lot of openness in my home, but also a lot of, you know, struggle. And there was incarceration in my family and poverty and houselessness. And so it was a really mixed bag for me of like this safe space where I felt like I could feel whatever I was feeling. But also she was a really hurting person and other people in my community. I was raised in Omaha, Nebraska. You know, it's like hardcore Midwest. They didn't understand why when kids would come over to my house, everybody was like having these serious, intense conversations and we're playing truth or dare and we're confessing our deepest fears. And then they go home and they're like, oh, I just bonded with Chelsea about how her mom's in prison. And they're like, I'm sorry, like, why are you letting my kids do this? So she really influenced my thinking in a lot of ways. And I wanted to write the book for other people like me. You know, I grew up going to therapy, really saved my life. She was always in therapy. And when I became a therapist, I started to specialize, you know, with people like bad teenagers and people who are really misunderstood. And then the pandemic literally hit right as we I started to write this. I think it's really offensive to frame the pandemic as like a blessing in disguise because no. But, you know, I am a person who also likes to take the benefit of the situation. And if more people are ready to hear the message that we have to embrace the difficulty of life after something like this, you know, I do think that you're right. Like the normalcy that some people had, not everyone, but some people had, you know, it has sort of unraveled. And I think in a way that is what we can take away from the pandemic and what's going to be positive. It was a great equalizer in a way, you know, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you've been through, we are all collectively going through this together. And I think it's important to have this discussion with you for us to sit here today, because it is something that feels like it was so huge. And we are so eager to just ignore it now or act like it didn't happen. You know, I was putting on a jacket the other day and I reached my hand in my pocket and I found a mask in it. And I went, oh my, oh my gosh. It just felt like it took me straight back to a time when that was so normal. And even my daughter yesterday, she's three years old and she was, um, you know, a few months old when the pandemic hit. And she said, mom, let's play like we're going to school and someone has COVID and we have to wear our maskies. 
And I was like, wow, this is just so normal. Like her, like put, putting, playing dress up and putting on, you know, a pair of my high heels. She chooses to put on a mask. And it's such a huge part of her life. And what I love about your book is it's this organized version of essays and activities and like sciencey lists and things. And, you know, you talk about how tired our brains are because they are, they're so tired. And I think that's why we choose to easily ignore what just happened, you know? And so you try to break it off into little, little chunks that we can handle at a time. And some of the activities you practice alone, some of the activities are in groups and without giving away some of it, like let's Let's talk about what a pity party is and what it is by definition in your book and how the entire idea is that we can enjoy our problems, right? We can teach ourselves, yes, you're going to have these problems, but there are ways to cope with it that can bring some enjoyment. And there is, you know, and I don't want to say silver lining, that sounds too cheesy, but that's the idea. I really care about access and accessibility. I really care about inclusivity. I come from, you know, even with my background, I really found like a social justice framework early on. And so I'm grateful for that because I had a lot of community around me, you know, talking about these issues in that lens of like fighting for like community care. So I wanted the book to feel accessible to people from a variety of backgrounds who are, you know, at a variety of levels of burnout, you know, who maybe are reading the book at the end of a shift or on their lunch break. I just didn't want to create something. It felt like you had to have some really prerequisite knowledge or experience to enjoy. And that was difficult, right? Because people are struggling in so many different ways. And even just this one event of the pandemic, which is really many events, but it affected everyone in such a personal way. So I wanted this message to feel without watering it down too much, which was also hard. I wanted it to feel like something everybody can sort of dive into. And yeah, we don't want to do the silver lining thing, but what if we took our whole experience, the whole thing, the crunchiness of it, you know, like eating at McDonald's in a parking lot at 2 a.m. and you're broke and you don't know where you're going to stay next week and you're just like, what is the magic of that moment? Not, not gaslighting yourself and pretending it's awesome, but just being like, you know, hey, here's a stray cat. Like, look at this. Like this, this world is so rich and full of dynamic experiences. It's so alive. And when we stop trying to filter it through the positive negative lens, I think we can have more of like a sense of humor about it. And we can just kind of be grateful to be here, even if it's really sucking right now. It's like, I am alive. I mean, that's how I feel. You know, when when stuff's really hard, I'm like, wow, I'm having such an adventure right now. I like to say my screenwriters are really good. I'm like, this episode is like so interesting right now. I don't know what's about to happen to me next, but I can't wait to find out. You know, I feel like that attitude takes some of the pressure off. Yeah. Wow. What a fantastic way to, I mean, it's essentially a lens you choose to look through life with and what a way to do that. And I know that that's what a pity party is still a party does for us. So uh, the title's fantastic. I love the idea of it. So for those who haven't been been there yet and are going to grab it right after we talk about it, what is by definition a pity party and what are signs that we're pity partying well? I love this part of your book. Yeah, I wish I remember. Now I'm like, I should have, I knew I should have had the book next to me because I'm not going to remember. Oh, I've got okay. it. I've got it up here. <laughs> 
you tell me. So some signs that we are pity partying well are we are experiencing a deeper sense of connection, which I think ties into your experience of sitting in the car and eating those French fries and seeing the stray cat just connecting and feeling more empathy for ourselves and others and having a greater thought, having greater clarity around our thoughts and feelings and seeing the world as a more heartbreaking and beautiful place and practicing new rituals, moving through emotions, which I think you have a lot of how-to in your book about that. And that is something that all of us could benefit from. And then generally just getting cooler and weirder and embracing yourself for that, which I love that part too. One part I would love to discuss because it's something that you really have been through and I think you touched on it a little bit was your first experience with grief. The irony you felt in it, this that it ironically gave you permission to feel feeling bad gave you permission to also feel better. And you felt like your grief was strange, but a primal pleasure. Can you talk to us about that? Because I think being able to embrace grief in that regard can help us all tremendously. Yes. Thank you for that question. I love the topic of grief. And I actually struggled to not make this a grief book right? Because grief means so many things to different people. But for me, you know, in that story that you're referencing, I'm talking about, you know, the grief of my, the death loss of my, my grandmother, who was really my mom to me, you know, she was the only parent I knew. So she was everything to you. She was your mom, your dad, your grandma, your best friend. I mean, she was everything. She was. And so like, you know, she was sick for a long time. And so I knew that it was coming, but it was my biggest fear was losing her. But in a way, it was actually like the purest heartbreak that I had ever felt. And I've certainly, you know, been heartbroken by love and other things like that. Right. This is a different type of heartbreak. Different. And, you know, just I was I already knew that we just had this really special thing. We just had this really special understanding. But when she died, first of all, being able to be there with her as she died was so primal. And it felt... I suddenly felt like a part of the human race in such a, an animal way that I don't think I'd ever felt. And, and for me, that's a big part of what a pity party is, is letting your pain join you with all humans that have existed. It's like you're not alone in this. You are doing something that's so, you know, universal and so primal. Yes. And acknowledging that anything you feel anything you feel has been felt before and will be felt again. And you, even though you feel alone in that moment, if you do, you are not alone and finding comfort. That's a pity party. Yeah, that's a pity party. <laughs> hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back. Don't let anybody ever tell you you're the only one feeling something. That is never true. And we're not that special. We're all very similar. And so being with her, I just found that, you know, I knew what to do, which was interesting, right? Body knew what to do, you know, to wipe her forehead when she was hot and couldn't speak, you know, just these moments. And then like when she was actually gone, the feeling as if like I was filled with this sense of, like duty to live my life in such a way that honored what we had sort of learned together and what I felt that she had taught me and showed me through her own courage. I mean, her life was really messy and she got a lot of crap from people in her life for never having her shit together. And I just felt like it just kind of like breathed into me this sense of commitment to a mission of like spreading the message that gave me so much relief. And it hasn't left me you know, and I mean, of course, the grief comes and goes. And I, you know, feel like my relationship with her changes as I learn new things and talk to her about people I'm dating and stuff. But it was it was really profound. And it obviously is traumatic, but it wasn't it didn't it felt okay. It was like, I love this person so much that this is just emptying me out. 
you almost felt grateful for the love, for the amount of love and grieving showed you just the uh, how much you truly loved her. And so you were able to see it from that point. And I can understand having gone through something like that and feeling like you wanted to make the book about grief because it is such a big feeling. And that is something that will probably always be a part of you, right? Because when you experience grief to that level, it, it does change you and it becomes a part of you. How much of having the pandemic happen changed your book writing process and changed the the book at all? Oh my gosh. I don't think I've actually even thought about that. I wonder. I mean, I think what it did was, interestingly enough, it made me feel more normal. And it made me, because of the way that everybody was like so overtly like miserable. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I no longer feel like I'm the only person at work who's just having a really horrible time. So it joined me with people in a way that felt also new to me. And I think it gave me just a little bit more permission to speak about the things that had been helping me and, and realizing like everybody needs this, right? Like everybody needs a ritual at the end of the day, you know, like even if it is just making yourself hot tea and sitting on your balcony, we need to mark these moments in these in these ways. We need to not feel alone in our grief. And I think maybe prior to the pandemic, I wouldn't have felt so sure that it was such a dire need for everyone, not just for the misfits and weirdos, but it, everybody needs that. And now I feel really confident of it. I've also been working in the therapy field for longer. So that'll do it too. <laughs> yeah. But that's what this book or memoir does is it has all of these different ways to cope and things to do for you and to do with your friends and to do with your family. And I love how to books and how to anything. I love anything tangible we can take home and figure out how to make ourselves a better person. And that is what this is. And what I love so much about it is you can go back to the, to it anytime and choose something else that speaks to you. Choose a different task, a different something that you want to do that you feel you need to embrace at that time. I also want to talk about you, you know, you, you a huge portion of your book is about how we are in the age of TMI, too much information, right? And you have a statistic that says in 2017, researchers estimated that the average person took in about 74 gigabytes of data a day. That is equivalent to about 15,000 songs, 16 movies, or 26 million text messages way more than our ancestors used to get. And for perspective, a highly educated person who lived 500 years ago would have likely consumed 74 gigabytes of data in their lifetime. Yeah, see, my brain is so tired that I didn't even, when you read that to me, I'm like, what? Because it's also not my research. I couldn't believe it when I read it. I was like, this is how it feels though. It's like, it feels like our brains aren't made for this much information. And I think... <laughs> I mean, that's just facts. We haven't caught up evolutionarily. And I think biologically, when people say TMI, they often mean like, you're telling me too many painful things. I mean, this is just too much sensory information. Like we have got to find ways to protect ourselves mentally because it, I'm sure everybody feels it too, especially with like those who have long COVID symptoms. Like my memory has just never fully recovered over the last few years. So it affects everything. It affects our mental health on a grand scale. Yeah, it really does. I mean, and honestly, the 
effect of our mental health, the impact this has on our mental health cannot be overstated. And, you know, we you talk about loneliness, too, which is a huge factor in the pandemic and how that is a proponent of mental illness, too. So can you embark on that part for a little bit with us and how, you know, we all went through loneliness in the pandemic? And it is sometimes hard. You know, listen, some of you listening may be rolling your eyes because you are outgoing and extremely gregarious and jumping back into party mode was super easy for you. Other people have had a hard time getting back out there and even just going to lunch with a friend or even setting, stepping foot into a house party again or any sort of event brings on a lot of anxiety. And that is a huge repercussion of what we've just been through. So what, do you, what advice do you have for those that are feeling that way? Because I would generally say I'm an outgoing person, but I anytime now I go to an event or something, it is much more difficult than it used to be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I mean, the research consistently shows like loneliness is just not, it's bad for us in every single way, right? Every metric that we could look at and the culture that we're living in, at least in the United States, super individualistic, right? We're separated from communities and sense of belonging in a way that we never have been. And I'm not just talking about like church. I'm talking about like people who help you stay alive when you're sick, people who show up for you when you are absolutely at your worst, right? And I think the problem with like this conversation around loneliness now after the pandemic and like re-emerging into social world, the problem that most of us are running into is not that we are suddenly all introverts, is that most of us are feeling still pretty shook up and it's really exhausting to pretend to be okay when you're not. It's really actually exhausting to pretend to be anything you're not. And so I want people to just be authentic with each other. I don't personally think it's actually as hard as people think it is, right? Yes, we want to make sure that we're not like giving super sensitive information to people we don't know very well. And you want to check in about, is this person available right now for connection? But if I'm just like crying at a party, I'm not doing anybody any harm, right? And what is anybody going to do? You know, how could anybody use that to blackmail me? It's really not that embarrassing. Everybody cries. And as a person who's cried at many parties, people actually love it. (laughs) They come right up to you. They're like, hey, you know, me too. Like, you don't even have to say. You're like, they're like, yeah, same, dude. I just feel like that's so much braver and it, it opens us to connection you know, it it allows us to just like own where we're at. It gives other people permission to do the same. Right. The second you do it, it does allow everyone else to. And it's so nice and refreshing to be able to do that. And I I do think even, you know, with social interaction in person and even on social media and all of that, people are embracing the realness of it all, which is one positive that has come out of all of this is just be, come as you are, right? Just whoever you are, however you are, and just let that be okay. And how wonderful. It's easier to say than to do. While I would love to be like, oh yeah, I'm definitely embracing all of that. I mean, yeah, sometimes maybe, but other times you you can fall back to your old habits or you're not necessarily in a situation where you're that comfortable doing that, right? It's a practice. It's a practice. I like to call it, yeah, my my humiliation practice. Like every day got to be a little bit humiliated, just staying humble. Like if you're not used to being embarrassed, it's going to be harder for you. But I mean, it's it's interesting because like the more that I just like embarrass myself by being authentic in whatever state I'm in, the easy, I feel like daring. It's like I'm an emotional daredevil now. I'm just like, okay, like, why don't you embarrass me in a new way, world? Because it's not just like our sadness that's embarrassing. I mean, anybody who's ever been in a new relationship and you're like in love and obsessed with somebody, like that's humiliating. 
it's it's just embarrassing to be a person and to be vulnerable. And I think at the same time, like that's what endears us to people. You know, that's what makes us feel close to people is when they're just a little bit at their edge and they're saying something they're a little embarrassed about. You feel close, you know, and, and it gives you permission to do the same. And I think if we can all just get a little more comfortable with embarrassment, it will be a lot easier for us to connect over these difficult things. So I know we were talking about feelings and you talked about how to not necessarily judge and eliminate the good or the bad just to see it for what it is. I think something like that can be in theory, reading it, I'm like, that would be amazing. Yes, I would love to do that. But do you have a little bit more of a of a how-to Yeah, do that? Because in theory, yes, that's amazing. But how would one even go about doing that? Yeah, no, that is not something that we can like expect to permanently accomplish, right? Because we have our preferences, we have our feelings inside of us. We always register that as good and bad. What I want is good and what I don't want is bad. But, uh, you know, I have dabbled in quite a bit of like Buddhist meditation world. And so that's kind of where I'm picking up on that, you know, like existentialism, the idea that the world exists without our preferences. Right. So that was how I kind of got into all of it. But I think that for like a person who doesn't really want to, you know, like read a bunch of nihilistic literature for fun, you could just meditate. Honestly, I think like five to 10 minutes of meditation a day does somehow start to break down that reflexive assessment. It's like, you know, a lot of meditation teachers will talk about that pause, right? That it puts inside of us. It kind of installs this pause where I can just have an experience and then without immediately reacting, I just notice how I'm feeling. And even that can start to sort of soften our assessments about everything is good, bad, good, bad, right? It just... They call it equanimity in, in that mindfulness world, right? And I learned a lot when I was sort of training in that space. Mm. I I love that. And we talk about meditation on this podcast all the time. I'm a huge fan of that. And I think it is such a simple, easy fix. I do want you to break down your agony altar for us, because this is something in the book that I was so fascinated by. And it's for those listening, it's one of the, you know, little tasks and things that she has that you can do. And I could tell Chelsea that you were such a huge fan of the agony altar yourself and how much it really worked for you. So can you break it down for us and talk to us? This is just one of the many things in the book that you can do. But I want to use it as an example of what's inside the book to really help people and um, make it fun and make it, you know, interesting and active. Yes. Thank you so much. These are just such fun questions. I love altars. So, I mean, for the hippies out there, right? Like really an altar can be any space that you kind of place items of significance on And then you just kind of pause in front of it. You meditate in front of it, depending on your spiritual practice. You pray in front of it. And for me, when I've been going through something super painful, grief or heartbreak, to have a space in my home where I create a beautiful, you know, like representation of what I'm going through. And I'm I'm a creative person, so I enjoy maybe picking a theme like, I've had altars that are all red because I feel like what I'm really feeling right then is this really passionate love or this fiery feeling. And to just see like the candles that I'll light every day and the incense and, you know, an image of the person I love who I've lost or whatever it may be, you know, mementos from times in my life or I'll put flowers on the altar 
And then to be able to come and sit and just, you know, feel whatever that is and honor it. It feels so sacred to me. I didn't really grow up in church and a lot of my hippie friends, you know, kind of would have these altars in their home, you know, different faiths, you know, were incorporated. But I found that it was just, it was so dignifying to have this beautiful space you could sit in front of and devote that feeling to. And it's also a constant reminder that you should be doing that, right? Because it's so easy to get into the pace of life and forget to sit and meditate, to sit and take a minute for yourself, to acknowledge and honor certain things in life. And so when you build an altar of some sorts and have it in your space, whatever that is, workplace or bedroom or in your living room, wherever that is and whatever speaks to you, it's such a form of self-expression and a way to honor it. And I really, I really love that. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. And we're back. I mean, without giving away everything in the book, do you have another how-to that you also loved that was your favorite? Another one that spoke to you or one you even want to bring up on the podcast so that others can know about it? Oh, fun. Yeah. I mean, another solo activity that I genuinely love doing is the cry diary. (laughs) Speaking of getting more comfortable with embarrassment. Oh my God. So it's essentially, it's, it's so simple. It's just recording yourself when you're crying and then maybe journaling afterward. And I'll have like little questions and prompts, but honestly, video recording yourself, correct? And then watching yourself cry. It is really something. I'll tell you what. It's like, (laughs) I don't 
don't know why I started doing this. I don't know. Maybe I just yeah, I grew up with phones and I'm an only child. So, you know, I needed the attention from myself. But honestly, it really has changed my experience of like my own idea of how I look. You know, when you see yourself at this moment where you're not thinking about how you look at all and your face changes so much when you're crying and it's really tender and it's just really kind of cute. But of course, that's very cringe. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, wow, I've cried in front of so many people and they all saw me like that. But then I'm also like, if I step back, I'm like, what if that wasn't me? I think about that. I try to do that mental exercise. What if that wasn't me? And then I see the way that, you know, when people cry, it's like these waves that you can track where you'll be really sobbing. And then you start to kind of regulate your breathing. And then you sort of get up and look around like for a snack. Like it's so universal, these little motions. And I'm I'm able to have more empathy for myself when I see myself crying. Oh, how fantastic is that? Empathy is so important. I mean, it's so easy to have empathy for others and not necessarily for ourselves. So and what an interesting concept of the fact that everyone, a lot of people have seen us like that crying and our face contorted like that, but we have yet to see ourselves that way. So what an incredible way to do this. I mean, listen, listen, we could go on forever. I mean, there is so much to unpack in this book. But before I let you go, I do want to talk about Big Feels Lab, your nonprofit. Can you talk to us a little bit about how it started and what it embodies? Thank you for asking. So Big Feels Lab right now is still a pretty small operation. Started it again around the beginning of the pandemic or right before. As I was becoming a therapist, I was realizing that so many of the issues that therapists are trying to treat are social, like they're based on the circumstance of the culture we live in, right? This loneliness, you know, so, for so many people, poverty, so many forms of collective trauma that people are living through, certain groups are living through. And so I really feel like therapists need some help. And that was kind of my first thought was like, we need to shift the culture so therapists aren't expected to do like magic. Like we cannot have people experiencing these repeated collective traumas and then expect therapists to come into these rooms and fix that. We aren't really trained, you know, to deal with some of those social issues. So I think it was it was an impulse to kind of educate, not just therapists, but I do, we do trainings for sure for clinicians, healthcare providers, even doctors on like trauma-informed care, like, you know, some basics like, okay, bodily autonomy. Dentists really need some training on trauma-informed care. Like before you put a shot into my mouth, could you just tell me what it is? Right. That's a basic piece of information that whenever we like talk to healthcare providers who aren't therapists, they're like, oh, why would we and yeah, they're like, why would we do that? Because so many people are coming with so much trauma to the body that the feeling of like not knowing what's going to happen to your own body is just, it's a, such a part of therapy, right? Consent. So we do trainings like that, but we also love to offer educational, like like low cost and accessible, just like educational resources for the public about here's why you might be feeling what you're feeling, right? Here's like, what these other kinds of trauma that people aren't talking as much about feel like. So to normalize that. And yeah, we're excited to do more in the future. How can people access Big Feels Lab? Is there a website or an Instagram or socials? And how can people follow you? It's mostly just me right now. We have an amazing board. But like right now, it's this an Instagram, Big Feels Lab. But I mean, I will be posting more on my own website. Like as the book is coming out, there's definitely some overlap there around like 
promotional activities. What's your website? We'll definitely have it in our show notes. So for those listening, definitely make sure you click it and purchase a pity party is still a party. It is fantastic. I'm such a fan for any of those. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, we want to help others help themselves. And so this book is definitely a form of that as well and an extension of self-care. Yeah, it's just my name, ChelseaHarveyGarner.com. And then I'm on Instagram under the same and trying to do TikTok. I don't know. I think no, we, we, we won't do TikTok. It's fine. <laughs> <Don't> you guys, <laughs> like, I love it. I mean, it's fun, but it's a whole new thing. So uh, again, it plays into our conversation about TMI <laughs> for sure. But Chelsea Harvey Garner, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, helping us learn how to have a pity party. For those who want to continue to learn how to have a pity party and to help themselves, make sure to check out her book and her website and all the good things. And we wish you the best of luck. I know you're going to do big things. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. You guys know how much I love a how-to and her book is filled with this. I highly recommend it. I got an advanced copy and I couldn't put it down. So it should be out shortly. And if you're looking for something interesting to do this summer, a way to know yourself better, a way to deal with your emotions and not ignore that collective trauma that we're feeling, go for it. Dive in because it's truly exceptional and you will thank yourself for it. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. We've got another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions, hosted by me, Kayla Yule. Produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Imprint Productions. Editing by Diane Kang. Post-production sound by Coco Lawrence. And production assistance by Melanie D. Watson. 